You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, and this episode is sponsored by Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Does rotating clothing seasonally make you a little bit excited like it does for me? I put away my Kimmy sneakers until spring, and for winter, I'm rotating between my Brighton boots when I'm out and about and my Linez slipper when I'm home. Come summer, I'm sure I'll put my slippers and boots away, well, maybe not my slippers, and find some great options to wear in the warmer weather. Vionic's winter collection features a range of boots and shoes designed to keep you comfortable without sacrificing fashion. From chic ankle boots to insulated styles that stand up to the harshest winter conditions, Vionic Shoes has the perfect pair to keep you warm this winter. Not to mention their shoes feature innovative Viomotion technology that supports your natural alignment, providing stability and relief with every step. Use code 3in30 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at www.vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's code 3in30 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. One-time use only, Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast to help you feel more like yourself within your motherhood. Each 30-minute episode features three actionable takeaways to help you become a more self-assured mom, someone who knows yourself, honors your needs, and loves your people. Listen in to feel encouraged as we learn together how to overcome overwhelm and find more magic in motherhood. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. I'm so glad you're here. Today's episode is a special one in honor of Martin Luther King Day, which just passed last week, and Black History Month, which is about to begin in February. This is a recording of a conversation that I had with my dear friend Jasmine Bradshaw on her podcast, First Name Basis. She invited me to be a guest on her show talking about my personal anti-racism journey, what steps I have taken to look honestly at my own biases and work on them. I was honored to have such an important and vulnerable conversation with a cherished friend, and I of course asked her if I could come with three takeaways, because that's just the way my brain thinks. A bit more about Jasmine before we jump in. Jasmine Bradshaw is an anti-racist educator, educational consultant, podcaster, and founder of First Name Basis, a business that specializes in giving adults the tools they need to teach kids to be anti-bias, anti-racist, and inclusive. Jasmine uses her firsthand experience as a former elementary school teacher, as a mom of two young children, and as a Black biracial woman to inform her work. She's the creator of multiple anti-racist educational curricula for use in classrooms and at home, including bite-sized Black history. My friends, you must know about this resource. It's a collection of mini podcast episodes that empower you to teach kiddos about brilliant Black Americans who have been largely overlooked by our history books. You know about Dr. King and Rosa Parks. Now it's time to explore other Black leaders and learn from their stories. Jasmine is releasing 12 new episodes as part of Bite Size Black History Season 4 on Monday, January 22nd. That's today, if you're listening on the day the Scots live. That brings the total number of episodes in the Bite Size Black History Library up to 40. The catalog includes activists, inventors, scientists, entertainers, artists, and more. And each episode comes with an accompanying coloring page and reflection questions to help you have meaningful conversations with the children in your life. From now until the end of February, you can use my coupon code 3in30 for 29% off any bite-sized Black History package. 
29% in honor of leap year, giving us an extra day to celebrate Black History Month. So you can head over to firstnamebasis.org slash blackhistory to learn more, and I will, of course, link that in the show notes. Now I'm excited to dive in. I invite you to be open-minded and open-hearted if some of the concepts we talk about in this episode are new to you or uncomfortable for you. We only grow when we are exposed to new ideas, and I am simply describing my anti-racism journey and some of the tools and lessons that have helped me along the way. Maybe some of them will help you look at something in a new and different way as well. So with no further ado, here's my conversation with Jasmine Bradshaw. Hello, Rachel. Welcome to First Name Basis. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, my goodness. Okay, we have a really exciting kind of role reversal today. I'm going to be you (laughs) as if we were on an episode of 3 and 30, and then you're going to share some takeaways about your anti-racist journey. I'm so excited. So tell us a little bit about your first takeaway and your journey with anti-racism. Okay, I would love to. So I want to start by saying thank you, Jasmine, because you were the inspiration for me to start my anti-racism journey. You've taught me the bulk of what I know about anti-racism. I remember when I first started listening to your podcast in 2019, just being so blown away by all of the basics. Like now when I look back, I'm like, that stuff is so basic, but I didn't know it. I knew that I deeply valued being a compassionate, open-minded, non-judgmental, non-racist person, but I didn't even know what racism was, to be honest. Like I thought I knew, but you really helped me to put into action anti-racism in my life and to start to confront it in myself and say, it's not enough to just be kind. You have to actually look for your biases and root them out and see them and be willing to not just pretend you're colorblind. And so I want to thank you for that. And I'm excited to walk through sort of three ways that I confronted my own racism and that I'm working on my own racism. And first name basis has been a huge part of that journey. So I want to start by saying that. Thank you. That is, I mean, that's my dream come true because I looked up to you so much. The reason why I started a podcast was because I listened to yours and I thought, she's amazing. So to hear you say that all these years later, like, I'm just so grateful. Yeah, well, it's true. And so I listened to your show first and then I invited you to come on my show as a guest. And you talked about teaching our children about racism and bias. Mm -hmm. But really, that starts with us seeing our own racism and bias and understanding it more and I was interviewing you as my guest, but I was also learning a ton from you and took that to heart. We did our interview at the end of 2019. And then at the beginning of 2020, I went on a road trip along the southern United States. And it was a great opportunity for me to really confront some of my own biases because I live in a really homogeneous white community in Idaho. And I don't have a lot of diversity in my town in my life. And so a lot of times your biases can be hidden from you. So that's a little bit of background. Yeah. And I think everything that you're sharing, it's important that we remember that that's by design. The fact that you live in a homogeneous community where there are white people and that our communities are segregated, like that is because of things that have happened throughout history, right, that we're seeing still play out today. So we look around and we might think, oh, that's kind of weird, but really it happened purposefully and we're living out that purpose and recognizing that we can be part of the change is such a big, important piece of it. Yeah. 
Yes. So my first takeaway for how I started the beginning of my anti-racism journey is your first step is to be willing to acknowledge the possibility that you might be racist. Mm -hmm. And that is really not fun to think about. Nobody wants to be racist or very few people (laughs) want to be racist. And I listened to a TED Talk that was given in 2014 by Verna Myers, and it's called How to Overcome Our Biases, Walk Boldly Towards Them. She says in that TED Talk that we need to stop trying to be good people. We need to be real people. And that struck me because I think that when we are so dead set on, I'm a good person, therefore I can't be racist, then we're not willing to see the real stuff that's going on inside of us. And like I said, I have a deep value for fairness, for compassion, for all those things that would make me shy away from the idea that I could have racism in me if I'm not willing to be real. If I only want to hold on to the idea that I am good, therefore I don't have these things in me versus saying like, let's get real and let's look and let's recognize that racism, like you said, Jasmine, it's by design in so many of our structures and our systems. And it's a long history that even, quote, good people have these influences all around them that they're not even aware of in the way that they grow up, in the way that things are modeled in media, all of that. And so you have to be willing to acknowledge the possibility that you might be racist and you most likely are racist because of all of those factors. Yes, they make so many good points. And I think that helping people remember that you doing or saying something racist doesn't make you a racist for the rest of your life, right? Mm-hmm. Like if your child tells a lie, you don't call them a liar forever. Like right. they told you a lie on Sunday and then on Friday you're like, remember you little liar. No, we don't act like that with our kids and with ourselves, right? So understanding that yes, you do and say and think racist things and you have the power to change those things. And that is in you. And that when you recognize that, that is part of being a good person is understanding how you're not living your values when you're engaging in racism. Yes. Oh, that is so true that that's actually being a good person Yes, is being able to self-confront and to notice when you're not living aligned to your values. And to have the bravery to look at yourself and say, you know, I am not racist, but I have racism in me Mm -hmm. and I do racist things is really important. So one thing that you mentioned in the outline for our episode together on 3 and 30, you mentioned the implicit associations test that Harvard has on their website. It's basically a test where it helps you to gauge if you have some implicit biases. And it's not just race. They have tests for all sorts of different things, like your feelings about Native Americans, weight, sexual orientation, gender expression, religion. Like, what are your hidden implicit things that you assume based on those topics? And then you can select the tests that you want to do. And you mentioned this as a tool in that outline. And I thought, well, before I interview her, I'm going to take this test. And basically, it's what does your brain in a split second associate? It gives you words and pictures. And you have to, like, select the key that fits with the picture. And the test came back showing that I had a strong automatic preference for European Americans. and. 
I mean, nobody wants to get that result. And I admitted it on the air during our interview, which was scary, but I felt like was important for me to go first and to model and say, Honestly, I am the last person that anybody would think is racist. I am not, quote, racist, but I have racism in me. And look, this test shows it, that the association that I have with these different pictures or these different things leads me to know that there is racism in me. And so rather than just avoiding that or pretending it's not there, what am I going to do about it? So that was hard to admit on the air. But I'm grateful that I did because it gave my listeners permission to look at that in themselves. And what's interesting was many of my listeners took that test after. And the responses were wildly varied where there were people who, like me, were like, wow, I was surprised, but also not surprised because I know how powerful cultural messaging is and I'm ready to work on this. And then there were other people that were like, this test is a farce. I have no racism in me. How dare this test show me that I do? And I think that's just different levels of being willing to confront it. But I also had listeners say, the test showed that I didn't have racism in me and I know that I do. And so what do I do with that? And I remember bringing that to you and you said, this is one tool. This isn't the end-all be-all. It's not like you get a report card from this on your racism level and you're like, oh, I got an A, so I never have to worry about this again. It's a tool to help you to start looking more closely at yourself. So what thoughts do you have about that implicit associations test? Well, like you said, it's one tool. It's an entry point for a lot of people. It's just a good moment to sit down and self-reflect. You have to set aside time to start thinking about it and Mm. be alone with yourself, which sometimes is hard for people. And so when they have a tool to kind of help them just kickstart it. But yes, it does worry me a little bit when people are like, oh, I passed or I got an A on it. And you're like, okay, but we all are living in this system of oppression. So we need to understand that the first thing an anti-racist person is doing is taking responsibility and knowing Mm. that they have a a role to play. Mm -hmm. So if you take it and you think that, oh, I'm done, check that off my list, then clearly that's not being anti-racist. Yeah, It's meant to be taken by a ton of people, right? So there's no way that it can be perfect and serve every single person's needs. But just using it as an entry point can be really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Let's take a quick break and thank this episode's sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Fabric by Gerber Life. I just want to start by giving a shout out to all of those admin tasks that weigh on parents every day, but get pushed to the back burner because, well, life. Getting life insurance is one of those important tasks, but the process can feel intimidating and it's easy to continue putting it off. Fabric by Gerber Life has found a solution for that. It was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. It's all online and on your schedule. No appointments, scheduling, or piles of paperwork. Just apply when it's convenient for you. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash 3 and 30. That's meetfabric.com slash 3 and 30. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash 3 and 30. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. 
This podcast is sponsored by Lumi Deodorant, whole body deodorant that is seriously safe to use anywhere on your body. I love the chance to start the new year fresh, and what better way than an actual fresh start with new deodorant? Lumi was designed by an OBGYN to work not only on armpits, but also feet, privates, and everywhere else we get odor. No matter where you use it, Lumi is clinically proven to block odor all day long. Lumi has cream deodorant you can rub on, solid deodorant sticks for easy application, and even deodorant wipes, which are my favorite. Just a quick wipe down and I'm smelling and feeling fresher than ever. I usually go with unscented because I like to keep things neutral, but I might get crazy and try the cool cucumber scented wipes or the clean tangerine solid stick deodorant next time I order. Make the switch to Lumi and you'll unlock your freshest start ever. Lumi Starter Pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, and two free products of your choice, like mini body wash and deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi Starter Pack with code 3in30 at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant, L-U-M-E, deodorant.com and use code 3in30. So after taking that test and having that discussion with you and learning some of the basics about anti-racism, I was ready for my takeaway number two, which is start looking for examples of racism in yourself. And this is where that real self-confronting comes in, where you don't just let those split-second things go, but you stop and you look at them and you think, why did I have that thought? Why did I have that reaction? And I just have a couple of specific examples that I know I've shared with you before. But when we went on that cross-country road trip, one moment that stood out to me is we rented a camper van to go across the southern United States. And the young man who helped us at the camper van shop was so cute and friendly and professional and just like did such a great job. And he told me all about his family and he was black. And I had this thought like, wow, he is so neat. He's really made something of himself. And it was the positive thought. You would think that's the opposite of racist, right? But then I stopped and I asked myself, would I have had that same thought if it were a white young salesman? Would I have thought that there was anything special or different about that? Or do I just expect that of white dads? And does it seem unusual to me for a black dad? And so that's why I think he's a standout. And that's just that moment of asking yourself, huh, why am I having that reaction? So I asked you about it and you told me it's called exceptionalism. When you look at somebody and you think that they're like an exceptional example of someone in that group. And so you might not automatically say, oh, that was a racist thought I had because you're like, how could that be racist? I was saying that that person is awesome. But you're saying that they're the exception, that in general, that group of people wouldn't be like that. When really, why wouldn't a young black dad be super devoted to his family and showing me pictures and being friendly and all those things. Like, why would I assume he wouldn't be that way? And that shows your bias by sort of the reactions that you have to people. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I think the other piece of it is understanding, okay, why wouldn't a black dad have this experience with his family and have a solid job and be so proud and all of those things? Well, what if you had someone helping you who 
didn't have that situation. You know, you could tell they were going through a hard time. And then what would you think about that? Like, would people be thinking, oh, it's probably because he's experiencing the systems of oppression that are in our country and suffering from that? Or would you think, oh, probably pretty irresponsible or maybe he's a criminal? You know, they're just stories that we've been told about groups of people that create pathways in our brain that we just go down automatically. And I mean, you know, implicit bias, right? And Mm -hmm. so understanding that having that positive thought about him might be leaving out a negative thought about someone else. So yes, you're exactly right. That exceptionalism. Yeah. And I think you taught me that that's why it's sometimes offensive to say like, wow, you're so articulate. You've told me before that when people say that to you, that it's like, that's a microaggression because it's saying, I didn't expect that from someone that looks like you, you know? And so just becoming aware of the words that you use and asking yourself, why wouldn't that person be that trait? And also understanding that if people of color are offended by something that you say that you see as positive and you're like, why would they be offended by that? It's like, no, in their experience in the world, that is somebody saying, I wasn't expecting that from someone that looked like you. And that microaggression is very real to them. And don't just dismiss it and say that they're being overly sensitive if they bring it up to you or talk to you about it. Yeah. And saying a positive thing, you could be implying a negative thing. Like Mm -hmm. I remember one time at church, someone said, your hair is so clean. And I was like, what? (laughs) Like, Do you walk around saying that to people? Mm -hmm. Like shiny, bouncy, I'll take it, but clean? Because what, you didn't think it was going to be? It was just, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, those messages really show our bias, the things Mm -hmm. that come out that even are compliments, you know, show our bias. And so that was really important for me to have a little inner dialogue with myself about that interaction with the guy working at the camper van place. Another experience that I had on that trip was we were at one of our hotels. So we mostly slept in a camper van that trip, but we did stay in a few hotels. (laughs) I don't blame you. Yeah, exactly. We had two tiny kids at the time. I'm like, that was brave that we did that. No. And there was this moment where I was like walking down the hall. I was heading somewhere and there was a black couple that was outside the door with their bags and they were like fumbling around trying to get out their room key. You know how that is when you're in a hotel. Mm -hmm. and. I just opened the door for them so that they could come in. But I noticed, I called myself out that there was this split second of, should I open the door? And then I'm like, of course, I'm going to open the door. And I asked myself, if that would have been a white couple standing out there, would I have had that split second? Maybe I would have, but I was able to self-confront and say, I think that that shows there's some hidden biases of like, should I trust these people and just let them in? And I'm glad that ultimately I did because that was the right decision. But just that split second of would I have had that hesitation if the people looked differently? And the more that you constantly check yourself and ask yourself that, would I have walked to the other side of the street if that person looked different? Would I have locked my car doors? Would I have clutched my purse? Whatever it is. The more that you kind of start to rewire those pathways that tell you that certain people who look a certain way are dangerous or bad, and this could go for any number of biases, even outside of race. It could go with weight bias, where we assume things about people based on their weight. But until we notice those split second hesitations, those split second thoughts, 
we can't start to change the pathways that are in our heads. Mm -hmm. I love that you bring up the pathways that are in our heads because, I mean, you know this as a teacher, right? So first you confront within yourself, but then also telling another person is really helpful in cementing a new pathway. Mm -hmm. And so I think what you shared before about like having me to talk to, and I'm sure you've talked to your husband about it, just having safe people in your life where you can say, hey, like I thought or did this crappy thing. I don't feel Mm -hmm. good about it, but this is how I'm going to change because of the thoughts that I was having. Just being able to have a person that you can talk to out loud about it can be really helpful too. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And there is a feeling of shame when you realize that you're having these thoughts or feelings. I honestly feel it right now. I don't want to admit this. I don't want to look at it. But one of my favorite counselors, Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, always says, you can't fix what you can't see. And when you start to see things in yourself, when you start to admit things, when you start to have open conversations with people who care about the same things that you care about, that's when you can start to fix and change and grow and be better versus putting your head in the sand or saying, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. Like that doesn't make any long-term change. Yes. And I'm really grateful that you shared about the shame because It can be part of the process and understanding that when you're talking to people who recognize who you are and recognize your values, they can speak truth into you and say, I'm so glad that you're telling me this because you can see the mismatch with your values, right? Mm -hmm. And then they can kind of call you higher and say, this doesn't match with what you say you want to be or who you say you are or what you say you care about. And then you can start to make change from there. But you're right. You can't change what you can't see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I really feel like that leads to my third takeaway, which was an action step that I took thanks to you and everything you've taught me about, okay, so now I can see these things in myself. What do I do about it? Mm -hmm. And so takeaway number three is to diversify your community, both in person and online, and to really look at who is in my inner circle. And the influences that I have in my inner circle impact how I view the world, how I see people around me. Going back to that TED Talk from Verna Myers, she says, biases are the stories we make up about people before we know who they actually are. But how are we going to know who they are when we've been told to avoid and be afraid of them? So I'm going to tell you to walk towards your discomfort, and I'm not asking you to take any crazy risks. I'm asking you to do an inventory. Expand your social and professional circles. Who's in your circle? Who's missing? How many authentic relationships do you have with young Black people or any other major difference from who you are? And I just love that quote. I mean, it goes right to why you named your podcast, why you did first name basis, (laughs) right? Exactly. Getting on a first name basis with people. And throughout Verna Meyer's entire TED Talk, she had a slideshow of pictures of outstanding Black men playing in the background. And at first she didn't address it. She just gave her talk with this slideshow going and you see pictures of Colin Powell and Martin Luther King Jr. and Nelson Mandela, Barack Obama, Denzel Washington, her grown son hugging her, just these pictures going and she didn't address it. But then at one point during the presentation, she said, you know, have you wondered why I have these pictures going behind me? I'm trying to reset your automatic associations. She said, I want you to see all of these amazing Black men and to start to reset whatever you believe that's false about Black men. She was talking in particular about Black men because this was shortly after Ferguson, Missouri. And so she was talking about the violence that gets perpetrated against young Black men in America. 
And she said, we have to inundate ourselves with images of the humanity and the beauty and the brilliance and the excellence of Black people, of people of color, so that we're not just in this little insular world of all of our influences look just like us as white Americans, you know, and all of the outstanding role models that we read about in history books or that we follow or whatever, they all look a certain way. We have to diversify that so that we can reset our automatic associations that we have when we see people who look different than us. And so I've thought about that in my own life through a lot of the learning that I've done with you about seeking out opportunities to have meaningful friendships and relationships with people of color. And it's not an excuse to say, oh, I live in a community where there aren't a lot of people of color. There are people of color in this community. We have a huge Latino community in our city, but it is incredibly segregated. Mm -hmm. And obviously there's no legal segregation anymore, but why is it still so segregated here? We are missing out from not having more relationships and interactions between the diversity of communities in our town. And so I have sought out like, okay, my family is going to go to some cultural events that are hosted by the Latino community in our town. My kids actually go to the dual immersion elementary school, the Spanish speaking dual immersion elementary school. So I am going to actively seek out like who are they hanging out with at school that they're friends with? and invite those children over and get to know their families and get to know their moms. And it's really important to not have this be like a tokenism thing where I'm like just checking off the box. Like we need to have this number of friends that look different from us, but to like genuinely invest in those relationships. And I want to ask you, Jasmine, how do we avoid this wanting to get on a first name basis with people that look different from us? How do we avoid tokenism or any problematic use of people in trying to diversify our communities? That's a really great question. I think the biggest thing is recognizing that your friendship needs to be genuine and understanding that you're not going to like everybody. Like, mm, yeah. Honestly, that <laughs> sounds kind of harsh, but you're not going to like everybody. And if you're being friends with someone so that you can check a box. You might not have an authentic friendship. I always tell people, if you're friends with people of color and you're not talking about race, then they're really not that great of a friend to you Mm. because they don't trust you. And you don't have to be like, hi, let's be friends and talk about race. That's not fun either. But just being open and vulnerable with people so that they can feel safe enough with you to share the things that they're struggling with in their lives. It really is just about being in true community with each other. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like, what are some things that you would do with other women at church that maybe if someone doesn't go to your church that you could do with them or for them? Like, are they sick and you can share a meal Mm -hmm. or just the things that you would normally do with a friend? It just, people get really in their heads about it. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, I just want friends. I just don't want to feel weird (laughs) about it. It's hard because I do want people to be on an anti-racist journey. I do want people to ask me questions and things, but also I don't always want to be on the clock. Like this is my job, right? Mm -hmm. And and so just understanding that sometimes we want to just talk about reality TV and like eat junk food together and all of those things. And then we can talk about the real stuff too. When my husband was applying for new jobs, we were talking about like it's just a numbers game, right? You just got to send out a bunch of resumes Mm -hmm. and you'll get some good feedback and some not, right? And that's kind of how it is with people. 
it's kind of a numbers game. You need to meet a lot of people and some people you'll click and some people you won't and that's okay. And the people that you genuinely click with, move forward with those relationships and it won't feel like tokenizing. Yes, absolutely. I love that. And I will also add that you've taught me the importance of really diversifying my media influences, my social media you know, when I scroll through my feed, am I only seeing white faces? Are those the educators and the influencers that I follow? Or am I seeing a wide variety of skin tones and experiences and all sorts of things? And I've come a long way with that because I think when I first started learning from you, I realized, oh, yeah, my feed looks exactly like me. And now I feel like I learn from so many incredible women of color and of all sorts of different life experiences and abilities. And it has just enriched my learning so much. And you want that for your real life as well. You know, I want that for my podcast guests. The people that I host on my show shouldn't all look exactly like me. And so just becoming aware of that, I think bringing diverse influences into your life blesses your life and helps you to see a wider perspective. And at the same time, it's this interesting balance between like learning about people's differences and learning about the common humanity that we all have and not minimizing the differences or the different ways that people are experiencing the world. It's not right to just say, oh, we're all the same because they're having a different experience in the world. So acknowledging that and learning from them about that and also recognizing that our hearts are the same. We love our families. We want to learn. We have fun together. Like all those things are the same. That takes it from othering people to really loving people when you get to know their hearts are the same as mine deep down. Yeah, I love that last point so much that we all just want healthy, safe communities, educated children, opportunities for each other. And when we confront the things that we really want, we can see the barriers that are getting in the way of people having those opportunities. And then that's when we can kind of snuggle into, okay, how can I be supportive to you and what you're going through? And yeah. then that to me, going back to the real friendships, like that feels super genuine. Mm hmm. Absolutely. So those are my three, I mean, fairly simple steps, but that have made a big difference in my life over the last four years that I feel like I've really been on an anti-racism journey and I still have a long, long way to go. I retook the implicit associations test this morning. Oh, yeah? I was like, I wonder what the test will tell me about how far I've come. And I wanted it to say that I had no, no. more. That's what I was hoping for. Yeah. But it did say that I still have a slight automatic preference for people that look like me. And but it went from strong to slight. Exactly. And that's, that's why gross. I thought like, oh, I'm disappointed and I don't know that I want to include that on the podcast. I want it to just be like, and you follow these steps and then you can root out all of the implicit bias inside of you. Check, check, check. And it's not that simple. It is a lifelong process. And yeah, I mean, from strong to moderate to slight, that's progress. And that's kind of what I want to end on is just that it is a long, long journey and you're never done. And the willingness to see in yourself your own bias and as Verna's, the title of her TED Talk, how to overcome your biases is to walk boldly towards them, I think is really the overarching message of my experience from the last four years is instead of hiding from this or pretending that it's not there, 
I need to walk towards it and be willing to see it in myself and to start taking small steps to change that about myself. Yeah. Wow. Rachel, that's so powerful. And I just want to thank you for being so vulnerable because I think what you said about your steps being basic, no, they're really foundational. And I just hope that people will be able to relate to where you've been and and where you're going. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for everything that you've taught me and the leader that you've been for me on this journey and for being a safe place, someone that I can admit some things that I really feel ashamed about. And you're like, okay, let's unpack that. Let's work with that. Here's all the reasons why. Here's the history behind that. And it's really given me permission to be real so that I can actually be good instead of pretending to be good and not being willing to be real. Uh, Okay, there's nothing more I can say. That is the perfect note to end on. I'm so grateful to my friend Jasmine for hosting me on her podcast and for being an anti-racism mentor to me for all these years. She is doing amazing work in the world. And if you'd like to hear her episode on 3 and 30 from way back in 2019, we will be sure to link that in the show notes. Okay, now for a recap of my three takeaways for how to look honestly at your own biases. First, be willing to acknowledge the possibility that you might have racism in you. This is not comfortable, friends. Like I said in the interview, I'm pretty sure no one wants to think that they have racism in them. But when we realize that biases are subtly taught to us from a young age by media and other social influences, we realize that it's not entirely our fault that we have implicit biases against people who look or live differently than we do. But it is entirely our responsibility to start working on that, which leads to my next takeaway. Start looking for examples of racism in yourself. These are those split-second thoughts we have or the subtle assumptions we make about others. And the more we notice these moments and examine them, the more we will learn about our own biases. Only then can we start to call ourselves out and shift the way we're thinking. And one way to do that is my third takeaway. Diversify your community both online and in person. In her TED Talk, Verna Meyer says, Look for your biases and then look for disconfirming data. The more you fill up your life with diverse friends and viewpoints, the harder it will be for you to believe negative one-dimensional stereotypes. Look for opportunities to be in close relationship with and to learn from and about people who look different than you do. One great way to start helping yourself and your children to do that is to teach them about outstanding Black heroes from history and current events. True role models in all sorts of fields and careers and situations. Jasmine has made it easy for us to do that with her bite-sized Black History curriculum. And as a reminder, you can use the code 3in30 for 29% off through the month of February. Go to firstnamebasis.org slash blackhistory to learn more, and I'll link it in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here, my friend, for listening and learning and wanting to grow. As always, I'm rooting for you, and I hope you have a beautiful week with your family.